This episode of Humans of Email is sponsored by AWeber, a tool for newsletters, landing pages, AMP emails, and more. Available for free at aweber.com slash humans of email. Start your next idea with AWeber. So Jen, I have a soapbox this week. Would you like to come stand and listen to me talk from my soapbox? I'm here. I'm listening. Here's your microphone. <laughs> This is like not a new soapbox. I feel like anyone who's like talked to me one-on-one, you in particular, has definitely heard me say it before. But I was talking last week at EIQ, which was great, by the way. Super fun. Um, Really cool to like be able to get up on stage and talk about like sales marketing alignment with other B2B email marketers, talk about how email fits into that sales and marketing alignment picture at B2B organizations. But I mean, the soapbox that I want to talk about is that You know, B2B email is really underserved in the email conference landscape. What do you think? I mean, I totally agree. B2B is very underserved from a content perspective. There are like a handful of places where you can go for useful thought leadership, but um, I can't think of any live conferences that are 100% dedicated to B2B email. Can you? Not email. I mean, there's, there's the, there are a few out there that like do focus on, I would say like more broadly B2B like digital marketing, but even those tend to be light on email. And I mean, I know you've heard me say it before and you and I've talked about this a ton. B2B email is a slightly different beast. It doesn't function the same way. And I mean, I think as we'll hear in today's episode, sometimes even the technology limits like what we can and cannot do as B2B email marketers because there just like isn't as broad of a MarTech landscape that services B2B like there is for B2C in particular for like e-com. Yeah. And as a person who is an email educator, it is tough for me to deliver hybridized content. You know, I do the best that I can at my strategy workshops. I just had the Digital Summit email deep dive. I try to create content that is going to be useful for both B2B and B2C and split it up, but it's tough even to have world-class examples of B2B marketing because they're less accessible to us as you know consumers. As a consumer, I can put a lot of B2C examples and insights into what I'm doing, but B2B, it's tough to get on those lists and get nurtured unless you are a legitimate lead. And um yeah, so it, it's hard as a, as a B2B educator or to just as an email educator to address that B2B audience. But you know, I think um I think like sites like really good emails, like they help, but I think one of the things that that interests me or or that I've experienced anyway when I do some speaking on email is that if you don't have like a full library of B2B email examples, even if you're trying to say like hey B2B marketers, like consider this B2C email and how it might work in your B2B strategy, like you still get pushback. Inevitably, somebody will raise their hand and say, but this isn't B2B. And I'm like, I know. But like, part of it, I think, is that creativity angle. Like there's not a spot where like you see in e-com, B2B marketers are able to access the examples of email that's doing B2B creatively. Like there's just not a ton of of places to look at that kind of content and start to say like, oh, 
I could use a milestone email. Like, why can't a B2B email marketer use a milestone email like a Fitbit type email, especially like software? Oh my gosh, like you've got data, use it. (laughs) But B2B email, it's really hard. And something that I have told a lot of marketers who are B2B and are like looking to make that transition to B2C is like a B2B marketer makes an amazing B2C marketer because they come with a different perspective. They've done something that is kind of difficult, right? Like nurturing over that really long sales cycle, that's a skill. (laughs) And then to have that perspective and apply it to B2C, especially e-com, it's a kind of a no-brainer. I think it gives you an advantage to make that transition. So B2B marketers, we salute you. You have a very hard job. Um, our guest today is a B2B expert, but our content today, I think I think it's a fun conversation for anyone. Like you don't have to be a B2B marketer to appreciate yet another cat lady in our industry, right? <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to bring up that she's another cat lady. Like here's what I'm looking for is soon Humans of Email will have an interactive poll that says, of email marketers, how many of you have cats? <laughs> <laughs> I want to see a chart that that like displays like the the um, instances of email marketers and cat ownership. I want to see like what's the overlap. <laughs> well, there's definitely a lot of dog owners. There's there's a channel in the email geek Slack. I think it's called Aw, and people are always posting their pups there. What? I had no idea that was like a dog channel. I'm a dog person. I mean, I can appreciate. I appreciate cats. Cats are fine, but I'm very much a dog person. So um, I'll have to go check that out. (laughs) I found it. I found it. It is M-I-S-C, miscellaneous, M-I-S-C-A-W-W, miscellaneous, aw. Oh, I love it. In the email geek slack. And I'm looking at it now. Puppy, 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 new puppy, cats, cats, cats. What is this creature? There are a lot of dogs. There are a lot of dogs. There are a lot of cats. And then there are things that I can't really identify that are furry. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, I mean, I should confess like the true animal spam, my favorite form of animal spam is like horse spam. Like I love your horse pictures. I'm such a, such a horse girl at heart. So if you can tell me if there are horse pictures or maybe I just need to be the one that starts it and I'll spam that channel with my horsey photos. (laughs) (laughs) Here, I'm going to invite you right now. And if anyone, if there are other email geeks out there who are also horse girls, I know a couple of you are in the women of email because I've seen your profile pictures. (laughs) I want to see your horse spam too. (laughs) Well, let's get to it. I'm super excited for this conversation. Um, Our guest today is a really great community organizer, a B2B creativity email amazing person. And also just like super fun to talk to. Are you ready? Yeah. I'm so ready. We've met in person several times and it's always, always a fun and lively conversation. So yeah, let's get to it. You're supposed to say, let's do it. You always say, let's do it. Okay, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Staring off into space. Oh boy. Welcome to Humans of Email, a podcast about the people, ideas, and accidents that drive email forward. I'm Natalie Jackson. And I'm Jen Capstraw. And Jen, I 
brought a badger today, an email geek with a capital E and a capital G. Yes, you did. Um, If you are uh, in the B2B email community and you're a part of the Email Geek Slack group, then you might know what a B2B badger is. I guess I'll explain. (laughs) I'm, I'm looking for the thread on Email Geeks where this originated and there are so many things about badgers. You know, when you talk about badgers, we have to be clear there's a third type of badger because there's the scary American style actual badger. There's the adorable English version. There's like a great meme out there about like how the English badger is like sweet and might like invite you to tea and the American badger like probably has a dagger in its pocket. And then there's, (laughs) have you not seen this? It's so I know nothing about that. Okay, are you talking about the, the honey badger? Oh, I'm talking about regular American badgers. They are scary. <laughs> As are the honey badgers, but the email geeks badgers way less scary. And we and have a real one here. And in and oh, like wait, wait, you I found, found it. it. Wait. You got it. Do it. Tell us. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so back in February of 2021, I posted to the email marketing channel on Email Geeks. Hey, would there be any interest in an email marketing B2B channel? Or is everyone cool homogenizing with the marketing masses? And a bunch of people chimed in and were like, yeah, yeah, I'd be into that. And then someone named Lila R replied and said, what is the best reaction emoji to show my support of a separate B2B channel? And I said, I feel like the obscure animal emojis are underused. So maybe one of those. And Lila replied, a B2B badger. The badgers were born. And the rest is history. And that's it. I didn't know that. That's the whole badger story. You didn't know that? No, no, I didn't. I didn't. The queen of the badgers does not know the story. Okay, I guess we should introduce you, huh? I guess. (laughs) Our guest today started writing code in the 1990s. Well done. Yes, Um, thank you. She's got loads of email experience. She's an admin for the world's largest email community. That's the Email Geek Slack group, which is now exceeding 14,000 members. She currently leads lifecycle marketing for Launch Darkly, and she's a cat lady. With a fashion and beauty obsession, please welcome Newt Bachter-Smith. Oh, thank you so much. What an intro. (laughs) (laughs) Accurate? Fairly accurate. Yeah. Yeah, pretty accurate for sure. Yeah. I love it. So Newt, I only met you about a year ago, and I feel like we've been talking about BB email strategy forever, like for many, 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 many more months than just 12. It doesn't make sense. I can't believe it's only been a year. I mean, I feel like we're B2B email soulmates. Um, I think that's true. Yeah. 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 Like rarely do you find like another person who's like, I'm also big into B2B email, even though it's like super frustrating. And... (laughs) (laughs) I want to know, how did you fall into email in the first place? And then, as a follow-up, what on earth kept you in B2B email where everything is 100 times harder? Yeah, that's that's a – I don't know why I do this to myself. Um, Well, how did I get into email? It happened uh, exactly 10 years ago, and I was working for a company, and I was doing – 
digital stuff. And then I didn't particularly like my boss at the time and wanted to go away to Shocking. another part of the company. <laughs> Shocking. Uh, to like a different part of the company. And that part happened to be email. I didn't like decide I was going to do email. Just kind of was like, yep, this seems cool. And that that's... That's how it started. This B2B uh, Badger started in B2C. So what was your first foray into B2B? Um, That was probably after that job. I worked at an agency for one year. And at that time, I did some B2B work, um, some landing pages, some B2B emails. You know, a lot of things were brought up that I didn't really understand. I was like, lead, lead page, lead capture, what? Um... Um, but it was interesting to me for sure. And so after working at that agency, uh, by the way, agency life is not for me at all. I started working for a tech company. And so I went to B2B and I never looked back. I just really like it. I don't know. It's weird. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's definitely, you and I have talked a lot about there are some extra challenges in B2B, right? Like the, the idea that like, you're going to buy anything off of an email and B2B is like, wow, that must be nice B2C marketers that you can directly <laughs> do <that>. Yep. <laughs> and so having gone from a team of four email marketers um, in B2C world, because that program was, even though I think underappreciated, but still appreciated enough to get four full-time people, um, plus additional like help from design and, and coding and, and, and data to being the only person handling email marketing and marketing automation and marketing technology and marketing ops function. You know, that that to me just like epitomizes what it's like to be a B2B email marketer because you're basically expected to do everything. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I was talking with another B2B badger today, Anne, and um, we were just talking about how you know, to be a B2B email marketer, you really have to have a good understanding of marketing operations and that your tech stack, um, marketing, like the, the tech landscape, all your tools, um, how the data's flow, um, data's, data flows. Um, <laughs> and without all that, I think it's just really hard and you're going to get frustrated pretty quickly. You're right. Like yeah. there's so many more tech considerations that we have to take into place. And like, I feel like it just gets like bigger and bigger, right? Like now I think a lot of like the bigger B2B organization you are, like the higher the chance that you have both a marketing automation platform and a sales enablement platform. And so now you have to make decisions about like which type of communication goes into which one. And what do we say? And like, where are the nurture paths overlapping and where are they not overlapping? And (laughs) you're right. It's like, there's a lot to think about. (laughs) And then add on top of that, like if your organization does channel and partner marketing you have an entire you basically take all that entire funnel and multiply it times two or even three for that area of your business as well so it's a lot but I like I like problem solving so it really is I don't know just really interesting to me also it's where the money is so I love money (laughs) I will follow the money and the the money (laughs) tends to be in B in B two B tech, it's not bad <laughs> advice to follow the money. I mean, I mean that's how want... I ended up staying in email. I'm like, I've yeah. got this like strategist job title, and my phone won't stop ringing. I think I'm onto something. Yes, because it's a very complex thing, and people always need help doing it, doing it right when well, and you know, realizing a good ROI from it. So, hence how all three of us have you know good jobs. 
in job security. Yeah. And and I feel like there's there's also like the other thing that B2B email marketers deal with that B2C ones don't. And that is like sales team, right? That's like making friends with a sales team, figuring out what they need, like making sure that they're both served, but also that you're following the law. And yes. <laughs> yeah, I feel yes. like that's always like the fine line in B2B is like, is my sales team satisfied, but also am I following the law? <laughs> yeah. Know? And like, what are they doing also? Like, yeah. Who are they, who are they talking to? Um, so yeah, de- definitely like in, in a world where, you know, if you're talking to B2C marketers, they're not really going to understand the struggle of having to align sales and marketing <laughs> in an organization where there is kind of like a, not always, but usually like animosity between the two groups historically. That animosity inspired the Women of Email panel discussion at EIQ, which Mm. Natalie was the moderator. Yeah. I I feel like uh, I try to befriend salespeople whenever I'm new in a role, like as quickly as possible. I'm like, how, like what? Because I feel like we all want the same things. We're just, it's like when you're in a conversation with somebody and you're both like saying the same thing, but you're saying it a different way and it turns into an argument and you're, you like, you're arguing with this person for like an hour. And then at the end of the argument, you're like, wait a minute, like we agree. We're on the same page. (laughs) Yeah. You're not wrong. I mean, it's true. Our goals are exactly the same revenue. (laughs) Like sales. So you're, you're super busy. You're spread thin wearing loads of hats at uh, lunch darkly. But also on top of all of that, you're a community manager at Email Geeks. I don't know how you do it all, but tell us like, how did that fall into place? How did you become a leader in that community? Honestly, it was like uh, right place, right, right time, I guess. Like I've ever since I discovered the community, which was, I think it was about 2017, maybe I was like really active because it was the place that I've always needed and wanted and was looking for a place where I can ask questions and kind of see what other people were doing and share best practices and stuff like that. Um, so I was like really, really active. And then um, the admins, the other admins, the ones that you know and love, they decided, you know, we need another woman admin because right at that time it was just Tiffany. And they asked me if I wanted to join because they knew I was committed to the community. Um, they could kind of tell, you know, what kind of person I was virtually at least um and I said absolutely I would love nothing more because we all share love for this community and see how much it's helped all of us and so I, I don't remember when that happened actually and so, but I've been there ever, ever since they can't get rid of me and you were involved with I think the decision but definitely the the workflow execution to enable anonymous postings on email geeks can you tell us about that like why was it why was that decision made and how did you actually implement that? Yeah. Um, I can't remember how it came up the first, the very first time, but I remember a few different times members would DM me and ask if I would post on their behalf because they wanted to ask questions of the community, but they were worried because, um, they had colleagues that worked, um, at the same company as them also members of the community and they didn't feel comfortable asking or sharing certain things about their current career. It started with the careers, um, career and job related questions. So I said, absolutely. So I was actually posting on their behalf and then, um, it might've been another admin say, well, is there any way we can like automate this or anything like that? This was after we had gotten really lucky and gotten the paid version of Slack. I looked at 
some automations in um, in the Slack documentation and there's this workflows option and it's really, really cool. It's only available in the paid version of Slack, but it basically you can create automated workflows the same you, way as you would create an automated email um, campaign. But basically if someone takes an action, you can reply, do another action and another action based on that initial trigger. And so that's what I did. I created a, an un, like a, a little form so you can submit a question via the form, but then it replies to you and says, it's been submitted. Do you have a follow-up thing? Do you have another follow-up? Do you have another follow-up? We've used that also like people using it would give us feedback. You know, can you add another follow-up? Can you make it so that I can do this and that? And it has been super, super popular. I mean, you, you see people using it every single day. We've expanded it to other channels as well. We have it in a bunch of channels so people can post anonymous questions. That the workflow is channel dependent, so that's why it's in a bunch of channels. And then I also use the workflow for onboarding or welcoming new members to the community um, and then posting like monthly reminders um, for, for members as well. So um, if you do have the, for the listeners in the world, uh, if you have the paid version of Slack, check out the workflows option. It lets you do really cool stuff. But um, it is not like super robust. You can't do like really crazy automations. You kind of have to work within their recipes. But it's been it's been really, really useful, I think. Gotten really good feedback about it. And Slack gave you the, the paid version for free, right? Yeah, yeah, they did. It was a really serendipitous thing that happened. I believe it was Dylan tweeted at the CEO and they gave it to us along with a few other communities. You know, historically, Slack didn't really have a community-focused strategy. Um, they were mostly focused on growing businesses and employees working within the Slack platform, but it kind of happened organically where different communities, not necessarily companies, were on Slack, and there's a ton of different communities on Slack. But of course, we're, there are a lot of downsides to having the free Slack plan, which is the main one is all of your data is deleted after a certain number of messages. So you can never go back and look and see, oh, this thing that Jen told me about B2B marketing six months ago is absolutely super great and important. And I didn't copy and paste it elsewhere and it's gone forever. Um, so having paid Slack means that we have message history. Important message history, such important as message. what is the origin of the badger? <laughs> exactly. Which I was able to look up. Could've yes, exactly. Could have been right? lost it forever. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just did the math. I think Slack costs around $15 per user. And so that would be like over $200,000 a year. And mm -hmm. obviously the geeks don't have any money at all. We don't have any volunteers. money. Um, yeah. So that's incredible that it has been gifted to the email community. It was such an incredible gift. I Every day I appreciate, you know, Slack CEO for doing that for us and other communities because, you know, it's super helpful for all of our members. Um, before that, we would get approached weekly by members saying, oh, can, why are messages, you know, gone and this and that? And we're like, it's because we have the free Slack and we can't afford to <laughs> pay for it. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been really, really great. I think it's made... Um, it's, it's actually changed a lot of our strategies around running the group as well. Um, because we don't have any like limits to the number of messages. Um, so I think it's become a bigger, better group as a result. And I want to keep talking a little bit about that community. Um, 
So one of my favorite things about you is that you are one of the few people who's creating space specifically for B2B email marketers. I mean, you've probably heard me say many times, like in the Badgers meeting that we have every other week, that like one of my frustrations is that like there just aren't a lot of conference resources, like not a lot of speaking opportunities. Like we get so underserved as B2B email marketers, right? Um, and, and I love that you've got this like space carved out where like every other week we can cry about Outlook or like complain about what salespeople make us do. Kidding, of course, on all of that. <laughs> I love my sales team, right? I love them. They're yeah. great. Um, really what I mean is like we can enjoy each other's company and learn from one another. And honestly, like some of the challenges that we face, like you and I and this group have talked about are like not direct one-to-one correlations with B2C email. Like there's some things that like we literally have to do differently than they do. Um, what prompted you to, to host that meeting and, and how do you feel like it's going? Um, <laughs> yeah. So it actually started because I noticed a lot of us have the same challenges with our B2B life. I thought it would be really helpful for us to get on a call together and just talk through some things. There are certain situations that I've had or experiences I've had that might be really helpful to you, Natalie, and vice versa. I just said, well, I'm just going to throw something on the calendar. And if you're interested, just, I mean, it's super lo-fi. You just email me and I add you to the calendar invite. There's no like fancy automation or anything like that. It's, you know, it has ebbs and flows. There are some weeks people are, you know, has more attendees and, than others. But I think overall, it's been really good. If anything, it's really nice to get on a call and just talk to other people. <laughs> it's been a tough few years with the pandemic. I think one less moment of isolation and feeling lonely is good. Um, and then we do like to talk about like our challenges and, and how we're, what campaigns we're running or if there's any successes we've had. Um, so I think it's really good. And, and another thing is like, what if you're just feeling really down about your job and you need to just talk through some, some of that frustration? It's, it's having a group of people that understand exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And yeah. for folks who want to be a part of those calls, well, first of all, we should probably explain if you want to be in the Email Geeks Slack community, you go to email.geeks.chat and there's a little sign up form. And then once you are vetted and accepted, you want to look for the channel, which is email B2B be a part of that if you are a B2B marketer. And then we send a DM to you or post it to the email B2B channel, the Badgers channel, and just say, hey, I want to be, I want to be on the bi-weekly meetings. Is it bi-weekly or semi-weekly? I think it, I don't know. Bi-monthly, semi-monthly. It is every other week. It's every other week. (laughs) Yeah. Just, um, post, post in the B2B channel and, and I will add you, um, on weeks that I'm not available, I usually will give the um, ownership of the event to somebody else um, so they can lead lead the group. Yeah, it's it's really great. I recommend it. Um, if anyone has any like topics they want to discuss, post it in the Slack channel, B2B, and we can talk about it during our next call. I really love how is communal the right word? <laughs> <laughs> You know, like, I mean, it, it really, like, I think a lot of times it's, it's like not always the same people, but like, it's kind of the same, like larger rotating group of people. And yes. I love that, like, you know, we, we recognize each other as like B2B people. And then I think like 
you know, like we were saying, like some of the things that we hear as like email best practice in a large part of like the speaking gigs that that we have access to, like don't take us into consideration. The one that I always talk to you about is like, who is ever going to opt into a sales nurture? So this idea that like your entire email database yep. is like opt-in only, opt like in. sure that works if you're in B2C, but no one's like, you know what I would love is to get a solid B2B tech sales nurture. Like I want to get, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. It doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. It's just that like our rules, like the standard email email best practice stuff, like doesn't always apply to B2B. No, they don't. And no matter, and I struggle with this because I would love to just be opt-in only and Sorry, explicit opt-in, you know. Yeah. Um, but the fact is, and no matter what B2B company you work for, you're you're always gonna have situations where, you know, you do have list buys and you do have um list rentals and things like that. And so it's just a different world and you can't you can't come to it with the same kind of um feelings about about that as as much as I would love to just be like, no, I'm not gonna do it that way. I would be fired. <laughs> so this is where contact data source is your friend, my friend. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> sales source equals favorite. Yeah, <laughs> sales sourced leads do not make it into my stuff. So <laughs> this is my new favorite Salesforce field is contact data source. Like I like I have my like lead source, but I also have like contact data source. Like tell me where this came from. Where is this person <laughs> from? Where is this name from? But to be clear, you're not advocating for like sketchy list purchase of total random, you know, email addresses no. from some fly by night. Like, hey, I've got a list of professionals who do this and this and this. Do you want to buy coat, it? In your or, coat inside. Your I'll take 10 of them. <laughs> right? Yeah, like you, you're not advocating for buying like a list of scraped addresses Absolutely or not. very risky addresses. Can you explain what you mean when you say list purchase and list rental and how to do that the right way in B2B? Yeah. So I do not advocate actually buying lists in general. That's I, I personally do not. However, we run into situations, I've seen this multiple times, where you have a rogue person that does it in your company and the company is very large and just uploads those records into your database. Um, and so they're added to the database, depending on what kind of, uh, you know, contact management you have running, they could be flowing into your marketing or they could be flowing into some kind of permissioning campaign. So I do prefer if you have sources of records, leads or contacts that you can't really like you don't know the provenance of them that you see if you can run in through a permissioning campaign like hey we noticed you did a thing would you like to hear more from my company click here thank you that sort of thing it's almost like a it's like a double opt-in tactic but they never opted in to begin with <laughs> um so that's kind of what i would recommend for that another thing is you don't have to use email to reach out to these folks if they're in the United States and you have their phone number, you could call them, you could send them a direct mail piece. Um, you can, if you have their email address and the list is large enough, you can run some sort of paid um, paid ad campaign. Um, so that's kind of, it depends of course, is what the situation is and where you got these leads. But we definitely, I've run into this so many times at every job I've ever had where prior to me, at some point, someone took 10,000 names from LinkedIn or whatever and just uploaded them into Salesforce. And so that's not necessarily a 
a list because um, you're not going to a list broker and saying, I need a list of CEOs at tech companies, you know, but it basically is no different than that because they never opted in. They never personally did anything with your brand. So that's kind of my opinion on that is also tread very carefully. Like you, you, you get what you pay for <laughs> um, and you could do some damage to your deliverability. So just be careful there. And um, these are just a lot of fights that I've had at roles that <laughs> I've been in um, is arguing back and forth with management about what, what we should do. You know, I mean, I think though, like you're right. Like it, ha- it ca- it's a conversation that happens on varying degrees in B2B and you see people posting about it routinely. Right. And so like, I think that this, this whole notion of like going to speaking gigs and hearing people say over and over again, like, Nope, the only way is the opt-in. Well, well, yeah, that's really nice. But like how much in, in like the average, very large B2B organization, like how much authority and power does the email strategist truly have? You know what I'm saying? Like, so I think they don't, yeah, yeah, like there I love yes, in an ideal world, none of that happens. But like we also live in the real world. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, we yeah. have to think about like, okay, well, what do we do now? Um when yeah. you inherit a situation like that, you know, what what do you do? You have to do something. Especially in countries like United States where the laws really are not they don't cover opting in in any form. They cover opting out. Um, so that kind of gives a lot of B2B companies cover um, for potentially bad practices where, well, this isn't against the law. I'm not doing anything illegal. And so it's just a really, it, it, it's it's an uphill battle having those conversations over and over and over and over and over and over again with sales, with other marketing teams, with this, with that. Um, it's just, it, it is just exhausting. And it's unfortunately something that as a B2B email marketer, you're dealing with constantly. And so you kind of have to pick your battles. Um, yeah, I mean, in a large organization, even a large one that I worked at where I was the sole email marketer, I it I think it was a team of 900 marketers. I had no power to make decisions like that. So my job was to make sure the process was working. I couldn't tell them, don't do this, don't do that. So definitely something to <laughs> keep in mind. <laughs> You've been listening to Humans of Email, and we'll be right back. So, Jen, you and I have talked already a little bit about a couple of the integrations that we've been using with AWeber. So we've talked, obviously, about Canva, which is, like, amazing. You built such a cool integration that, like, lets us change out the header image of our emails, like, from Canva while we're still in AWeber. No bouncing back and forth the platforms needed. Yeah, I added that extra image down in the the middle of our emails now where we can like swap out our latest guest and talk about the latest episode. And I was able to use the Canva integration to create like a little template for that and then give you access to it. And now you're able to update it and way to go teamwork, right? Amazing. Amazing. And the other one that we're using um, that people like may not be able to see abundantly clear is that we have the WordPress plugin installed as well on our website over at humansofemail.com, um, which is super cool. And there are even more cool features that are a part of that that we're still trying to, to work our way through. Um, but 
Jen, I was actually in our AWeber account this week, and I stumbled across the integrations tab, and I thought to myself, like, hmm, I'm curious. Let's see what they offer. They have more than 750 available integrations to this platform. 750 plus. And I see that like one of the integrations is Zapier, rhymes with happier. <laughs> and that kind of means that your integration capabilities are supercharged. So while they have over 700 integrations, the Zapier integration enables so much more with the AWeber solution. It's it's really cool to see so much integration here. And then, of course, like obviously, we've been talking today a lot about integrations and their importance and how they fit into your overall MarTech strategy. So anytime you get to dig into your marketing automation platforms integrations tab and see 750 plus options, <laughs> that's a good day. I'm going to call that a good day. It's a pretty powerful solution, and if you want to try AWeber for free, you can do that at aweber.com slash humans of email. That's what we did. We started out for free before we decided to level up. So once again, that URL is aweber.com slash humans of email. We're having a lot of fun learning about this solution. Love it. It's going great. Thanks, AWeber. Hey gang, Tom here. We'll be getting right back to the show. But first, it's time for us to take a moment and answer some fan mail in the segment we love to call The Bounce. Hi, Jen. Hi, Nat. We're back again. Great to see you, Tommy. All right. Well, we've got a good one this week from Anya Chichersky. And I'm doing my best on pronunciation. We are, we are in week four of this, and I swear I will have it down eventually. All right. Uh, here's Anya's question. Hi, Natalie and Jen. This is Anya Chichersky. I would like to know what are the top reasons that emails fail to be received? Um, for example, specific words in the subject line or concentration of words in the text. Um, what are some of those like email killers that I should be aware of not doing? Ah, deliverability. <laughs> not my area of expertise, but I I can tell you that we're struggling with this at Humans of Email. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Okay, I feel like this is a really good point to like drop in when people say to me like, oh, I'm going to hire an email person. I'm like, that's three different people. There are like at least three different types of email people. There's like the strategy people, there's the design people, and then there's like the deliverability people. Jen, right. uh, you and I are are not the deliverability people. I, I think we have some things to say about this, though. We do. Well, it starts with you, you've got to have your DKIM and SPF records in place. Yeah. Um, we're having a hard time getting that set up right now. <laughs> Hopefully by the time you hear us talking about this, we've resolved it. It's something that I've been troubleshooting, and um, I'll probably be posting to email geeks if I could hire somebody to help me pretty soon. Um, so that's important that you're authenticated so that your your mail is recognized as coming from a, a, a good sender. Also, it matters if you are on uh, a shared IP or if you are on a unique IP. If you are on a shared IP, then um, you probably have a, a low volume 
of email and you don't have to worry so much about deliverability. Your email service provider is taking care of all of that for you. If you're on a unique IP, then um, it's a little more challenging. You've got to have uh, high quality mail. Well, you have to have high quality mail regardless, but you have to have mail going out at um, a certain volume consistently. That's something that I ran into when I had inconsistent send volume on uh, a uh, unique IP. Uh, I got hit with a bunch of soft bounces and my mail was not going through. I wasn't going to the spam box. I just wasn't delivering at all. And it took me a while to figure out like, oh, I just, I'm not sending often enough and I probably shouldn't have been on my own IP. This was a low volume situation. Um, now, Anya did mention spammy keywords and all of the deliverability pros in my network say that's not a thing anymore. Um, if you have the word free in your subject line, uh, it's not a problem. The spam filters are smart. They are sophisticated. They can tell the difference between you having a free shipping offer and a spammer who is sending something that is very questionable. So you don't have to worry about those keywords. That's not a thing anymore. But um, I mean, unless your your spam words are uh, Viagra, <laughs> male enhancement, I doubt those something, are the re <laughs> something related to pornography. Like there are a lot of extra hoops to jump through if you are in, for instance, the adult industry. But for a typical brand, keywords are not a thing. The secret to deliverability is send email that people want. Yes. And do not generate a bunch of spam complaints. And if you're seeing spam complaints and you're seeing a lot of unsubscribes and you're seeing very low engagement, then you're not delivering on the promise you made when someone signed up for your list and you need to look at the quality of your content and figure out how to accommodate those expectations. And I think that for B2B marketers, like that's that's a burden is even greater on you because what that means is that you need to be uh, sure that even in these like sales nurtures where like people never opt into sales nurtures, but even if you're going to send something that's like a, a nurture funnel, um, is the content relevant? Is the content designed to be helpful to the person or is it designed to be helpful to the company? Um, but like there are so many triggers that, that to your point, Jen, I've always heard like we're moving now toward um, engagement and like how people treat the emails you send them as like one of the primary drivers of like of of authority in the inbox. Is authority the right word? What I'm trying to say is <laughs> send like you said, if people click on your emails, then you get like more love from the magic deliverability uh fairies. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, ladies, for your expertise this week. And if you have a question for Jen and Natalie and would like to get a cool swag bag of stuff from Humans of Email and A. Weber, all you have to do is go to anger.fm slash humans of email and click on the message button. Record us a question and Jen and Natalie will be very, very happy to answer it for you. And you can ask them anything. Ask about their pet fish. Trust me, it's great. Please make sure to give us your contact info in the forum. That way we have a way to get in touch with you and get you that swag. Thanks so much. And we'll see you again next week on The Bounce. Also, to keep in mind, you need to know what are your terms of service or your service agreement right. with your email provider because... 
Generally speaking, they don't allow that. Some are flexible about those opt-in campaigns. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe one or two messages are acceptable. So you definitely want to know what's in your contract with your email platform. Have some conversations with your customer success manager um, and, you know, be careful. You don't want to get booted off your automation platform. You definitely don't. And here's what I would say to that. Two things. Number one is money talks. If you're a big enough customer for them, they're not going to boot you off. (laughs) I'm sorry to say this, but I know terms of service are a thing, but they matter a lot more when you're paying them $5,000 a year and a lot less when you're paying them $20 million a year. I'm sure people will disagree with me, but I'm just speaking from experience. Um, The other thing I will say is what I have seen happen, which is people will have a third party send on their behalf out of a completely separate platform. I've, I've seen that happen. So if they get booted off, who cares? Because they're basically acting like a, like a contractor or like a third party person. Um, and this is us based specifically because you're not dealing with um, like data integrator type laws or whatever they call it. Like that person that's feeding data back and forth. Um, but yeah, I've seen uh, I've seen bot lists being sent out of a third party platform by another company on another company's behalf. So that is one way to circumvent all the rules, <laughs> and also not having unsubscribes that sync from one system to the other. That's super fun. Um, and a lot of times the the you know the ops people aren't even aware that they're doing that because they're kind of just going rogue and doing whatever they want. But there are like there are platforms specific to cold emails that sales teams and business development teams can use. So it's a good idea to separate these things and maybe get the opt-in through those systems. Is that something you'd recommend? Get the opt-in over here and then then put them on the marketing list? It's it's really hard um, because if you read the terms and the guides for a lot of the sales communication platforms, they don't recommend you send that many emails out of them. They even say, oh, our team only sends five emails a day to the same company. And then they sell this product. And then, you know, if you don't read the fine print and everything, and you're sending 2000 emails uh, to the same company, and, and they're not necessarily opted in, boom, you're just you just got like blocked. So what I would recommend there is like, maybe not emailing those people and using other tactics, um, LinkedIn messages, advertising yeah preach (laughs) um phone calls sending them direct mail i mean natalie knows um we've we've literally talked about this but once you nuke your deliverability because like that's so a lot of these sales communication platforms or sales automation whatever you call them they're basically popping on top of your g suite so when you're sending massive bulk like large numbers of emails out of them the receiving end, it looks very spammy to them because they're like, whoa, you're sending 3000 emails out of your Gmail all at once or G Suite. That's weird. So I don't, there's really no way to not do that other than to reduce the number drastically. That kind of takes it out of like automation world in, in a way, not to me, but to the user of that tool. So I, I have heard some people argue that those tools have no place in, in our marketing tech stack. I'm kind of in, in this weird spot where I'm, I'm not sure what my opinion is, but I haven't really seen a lot of good stuff, <laughs> you know? Um, I think they're just so easy to misuse. Um, and they cause a lot of harm from a deliverability standpoint. And a lot of work has to be done in order to get them to a place where 
you know, you're not nuking your deliverability and your, and your reputation and it's working for sales and this and that, that it's like, I'm not like, why don't you just send emails out of your Gmail then? You know, like, why are we using this tool? So that's kind of where, I don't know if I answered your question even. (laughs) (laughs) I forget what it was, but I'll ask you another question. Pivoting back to your B2C days, once upon a time, you were sending emails for the adult industry. And I was. I personally feel like people who have some experience in some of the sketchier verticals uh, tend to have pretty exceptional strategy and problem-solving skills because you have some unique obstacles to overcome. So, and, and I did spend a little bit of time in another sketchy vertical myself, so I feel like um, <laughs> a lot of my strategy skill set is owed to that. What can you tell us about your time sending emails about adult toys? And, and what are like maybe the lessons that have driven your overall point of view on email strategy as a result. Yeah, that was a really, really fun and interesting six years of my life. Um, It was my first job out of college and it was in the middle or it was like right at the beginning of like the big recession of 2008. And so I think I just like was happy to have a job. But it was just so interesting to me um, because there was this example of like, it's just like selling socks. And it really was to like almost every single person that worked there. Like it was like no big deal, whether you were selling socks or like adult products, you know, you're, you're being so careful about like not saying anything that's potentially offensive, but we're I, okay I, with it. Okay. <laughs> um, well, it was just funny. And when we were having the conversations about like, do we go full nude nudity or like, you know, and it's like, we went back and forth a few times as a company, whether we were going like full nudity or like we had to try and be like rated R plus or whatever. You mean the images in the email campaigns? mm -hmm. Like, yeah, on the website. And um, so that's how I learned how to use Photoshop was having (laughs) to, yeah. mm -hmm. Having to cover. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I hope my friend, uh, I hope I have a friend, I'm not going to say her name, but I have a friend who, was there with me during those days. And I hope she hears this and remembers those times of having to to do some fun uh, covering of images because like, you know, we wore a lot of different hats. So um, that was one of them. And I still know how to use Photoshop to this day. Thank you for, the, for, <laughs> for all that good experience uh, to that company. But yeah, um, I basically got to the point where I'm like, if I can sell this, I can sell anything. But really, they kind of sold themselves, if I'm perfectly honest. Like, you didn't (laughs) have to, you really didn't have to convince anyone to buy this thing. They were just like, yes. Um, There was very little convincing that happened. It was just basically like, this looks good. Click. Yeah, it was really funny. It was definitely, at least from the email perspective, very much heavy on offers. I I think came out of that not really understanding how to do email if there wasn't an offer there. Like, what do you do? If there's no discount or free items, like, are people gonna buy anything from us? So it was really interesting pivoting from that to B2B where you can't give them a discount on, you know, <laughs> I mean, I guess you could, but it's not really, yeah. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. Um. So yeah, but it was really fun. It was just really fun. It was a fun time. I was just like a little baby email marketer at that time. So I didn't really know what I was doing, but 
I learned that you just really needed to test stuff um, because things just broke all the time for no reason. I remember sending out a, it was supposed to test before, like part of the testing I did, but then another part of the testing was supposed to happen before me. And I think like something fell through the cracks and I ended up sending an email that was just blank. Like it just didn't render in Gmail. So that was a, that was a big, that was big to do. You got to save that. You got to save that for our accidents. Oh, (laughs) well, I I have more, but um, another thing is like working through Black Friday and Cyber Monday and Christmas and the holidays and Valentine and having all these holidays. It was just a really stressful time. And then Chinese New Year, like we were doing almost all of our sourcing from overseas and China specifically. One of my jobs was forecasting the product. And, and before I was an email marketer, I was a, I, I, I was a buyer. And so forecasting and buying, first of all, forecasting is really hard. <laughs> like you never know what people are, what's really going to like resonate with people. You just had to take a lot of guessing and then having to order stuff like six months in advance to make sure that it got here on time. It was just really stressful. So you don't miss that part. I absolutely <laughs> That's the nice thing do about not. B2B. You I know, don't. on B2B, we get to look at our email friends on Black Friday and just be like, oof, sucks for I, you. <laughs> I know. I do not. I don't miss those days. I do not envy anyone that has to deal with all of that back to back to back to back. Like it's just a really stressful time. Um, for us, it's almost like end of end of quarter, end of fiscal. Yeah. So it's like a quiet time for us. We're like, oh, okay, <laughs> nobody's buying right now. <laughs> yeah. <kinda> like nice. <laughs> holiday time is very quiet for us. And then, you know, my, our, my fiscal ends in um, end of January. And that's usually a really stressful time for us. So <laughs> So, so you're back in B2B. Obviously, you've been there for a long time. Um, once upon a time, you and I spent a large amount of time talking about attribution software and like the future of MarTech. And actually, we still yeah. talk about that sometimes. I love having those like, what should it do conversations with you? Yeah. I'm curious, like, what is one thing that you wish marketing automation platforms did that they cannot do right now? Um, a single source of truth for all messaging that you're prospects and users are seeing from your brand. I don't have that. I have multiple sending, multiple sending systems. I have to go in each one and like look and this and that. And if I wanted a a single source of truth, I'd have to pipe data from like 10 different platforms. Hmm. It's just such a big project. It's such an enormous project and it's never something that's prioritized And I've done this project multiple times at companies because I was so desperate for the data and nobody else wanted to do it. So I just like told myself, yeah, just, 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 it's that simple. Just a a single source of truth, SSOT, thrown, thrown some B2B words for, yeah, for the data. And also it would be nice to have one place I can send emails to everyone from, but that doesn't happen either. Yes. Yes. And and I think that the attribution piece, like being able to see everything that happened in a timeline. And then of yes. course, because I know you and I have talked about it. Once you have all the data, you can start to AI that. And then you can say like, right. oh, if journey equals X, then do the following Dude. seven things. <laughs> we, I mean, we spend so much time guessing like, yeah. okay, um, I think these people might like a webinar. Oh, they might like this like document or they might want this thing i i never really know like what order to send people offers or things to consume it's all guessing really and hoping that it'll turn into an opportunity at the end of the day 
And I, I actually do know some people that are working on that problem. What's interesting to me is I see the need for that. There's a huge market for that, but my management doesn't doesn't really understand that they're they don't even see the problem so they don't really understand the solution so it's like for me i'm trying to use a scalpel and really get specific and detailed and they're just like i don't know brushing (laughs) aimlessly (laughs) oh my goodness Uh, yeah this goes back to natalie's point that b2b is underserved not just in terms of thought leadership and guidance and training opportunities, but also in terms of technology options. Yes. There's not enough competition. Nope. And actually, I was talking to a B2B marketer today who was migrating from one platform to another. And, you know, platform A, the analytics were weak and they needed more data insights to help drive their decisions but they're migrating to a platform that's a lot less user friendly mm. and could slow down their production processes. Like there's, this is just wide open space. There's just it not is. enough innovation for, for B2B tools. No. So there for those isn't. of you who run marketing automation, product development roadmaps out there who might be listening, talk to us. I have some things that we want to talk about. We have, I mean, <laughs> Once again, we are, this is now my second company working where we have, I'm not going to name names, but we use this tool because there are no other viable options. This is the B2B marketing automation tool in the space. There are literally no other options and we only have it because we don't have any other options. We don't have it because it's the best option for us. And whenever people say, oh, it's great. Well, well, I just, I just zone out. I'm like, I, you can't possibly think this is good. It looks like it hasn't been updated in 12 years. And the, and what's sad is the B2, B2C seems absolutely oversaturated with marketing automation tools mm-hmm. and new ones and like new ones seem to come online daily. And they're the big one, the big ones in the space, their roadmaps are really exciting and we are left in the dust. <laughs> Absolutely. But but like you said, like the money's the money's in B2B. Like where are our platforms? We have money to spend. (laughs) Please serve us. (laughs) It's like pretty woman. I have money. (laughs) So true. Yeah. Well I wanna I wanna talk about I wanna talk about some more B2B nightmare stuff. So there's Outlook. We can talk about text versus image in B2B emails. I know no. you and I have gone down different roads on that perspective. Um, all the things yes. that drive B2B email marketers bonkers. Which one do you want to talk about today? What What was your B2B like, oh, God, are you serious? That happened this week. <laughs> oh, where do I even start? Actually, it, uh, I think like for me, it's just, I don't know if it's a B2B specific thing. But I feel like we struggle with it a little bit more um, because B2B sales cycles tend to be a little bit slower is um, we just we're always talking about us. We're always talking about from the marketer's perspective, from the brand perspective, and we rarely ever pause and think, is this actually going to be useful for the person consuming this information? What do they what do they want to hear about? I'm sure they don't want to hear about me yapping about some feature. Like, oh, we have a new release. This is our new feature. Like, <laughs> features, you know. features, features. <laughs> right. And whenever I whenever I bring up, hey, are we sure? 
are we sure that the person consuming this like really cares about this? People look at me like I have a third eyeball on my forehead. And so I think coming at marketing from like an empathy perspective is just very foreign to a lot of B2B people, maybe even B2C as well. But I think I've run some really interesting campaigns in, in B2B just trying to do weird stuff and like break things. And they always surprise us. But at the end of the day, it is like, if you try and figure out what people want or ask what people want and you serve them that, you will do so much better. Um, you'll see a lot more res- like positive results from that. I can talk also about image versus text if you want to. <laughs> we don't have to go down that road. I know we have differing opinions. <laughs> I've been actually seeing some really interesting results in a few different campaigns I've run. I don't have huge numbers, but in situations where we have image, we we rarely ever actually have images in our emails. But when we do, people click on the text link and the the button, which is an HTML button, three, four, five, six times more than image. Very interesting. Yeah. Even if the image is actually the, you know, takes up a much larger space in the email and maybe even is higher in the email they will still click that less. And what my theory is that we have a lot of images defaulting off people, mm-hmm. a lot of them. And that makes sense for um, Outlook. We don't have a lot of Outlook users. It doesn't make sense for Outlook, but we market mostly to developers. So the theory there is a lot of them have images turned off. It's really interesting. I mean, really, you and I are on the same page. My only difference is like, if you're going to put an image in, just make sure it's like yeah. worth the person's download. Like if it's just a single image header, a lot of people aren't going to download it because they know what goes in that slot and there's no extra value but like nope. if you're gonna put an image in there just ask yourself like if somebody down is there a reason for somebody to download this is there some kind of value they will get out of downloading this yeah. image <laughs> i will die on the hill of no full width banners please for the love of god stop it um because when i i had this conversation today with our design one one of our designers like oh do you want a banner i'm like for the 25th time we don't do banners <laughs> like we don't do ban- image, banner images in our emails. I stopped doing that like six or seven years ago. Like we this just, is where we, we differ. I'm I'm like a I'm an image. I like my image. Depends on no. the email. <laughs> I just like for me it like it irks me something fierce when I look at it on my phone and our logo is like <laughs> so tiny. <laughs> I'm like I can't I cannot deal with this. Um and then. Now that Google's doing weird stuff with inverting image colors in dark mode and you have very little control over what that's going to do, I'm like less likely to try and mess with that. But yeah, those are my feelings. Banners. No, no more banners. <laughs> so new, we were internet friends for a pretty long time before we finally met in person. And I think we met, the first time we met was the first Unspam conference in 2019. Does that sound about right? Was that really the first time we met? It might not have been the first time, but we definitely bonded. I know. We definitely did bond. (laughs) And Mm. something that I didn't know about you, but that has come up repeatedly since then, is uh, you talk about your Egyptian heritage and how integral that is to who you are, how has that influenced your point of view as a leader in a community and as a marketer and as a human? (laughs) That's a really interesting question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me anything like that before. I don't know. I think I'm really more, I'm, I'm an immigrant more than I am an Egyptian. Like if that makes any sense, like I think I am a person in the world and 
being an immigrant has shaped my life so much, a little bit more than where I came from because my family is pretty cosmopolitan. We've, you know, I have family that's had educations and lived all over the world. So I felt like more of like a a child of the entire world. Um, But having immigrated twice, (laughs) first to Canada and then to United States, like I think that colors how I am a lot. And so I kind of have just a soft spot in my heart and my mind for people maybe who English is not their first language and people who have had to immigrate either for economic reasons or safety reasons or whatever reason, you know, being, um, being a refugee and, and seeing that happen more and more and more as our climate changes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, not to get into all of that. But yeah, I think, um, I think just having that, that just gives me a lot of empathy for people and especially for immigrants and people that look different and maybe speak differently and also wanting to be like, wanting to be very clear and speak not plainly, but in a way that is maybe more universally understood. I think that's really important to me because also as in my career, I've worked with people from all over the world. And so I think it's important as Americans to be open to, to that, you know, your point of view is not the only point of view and it's not the most important point of view. Um, and it's important to kind of um, be curious about where other people are coming from. Um, and I think that kind of has affected my marketing. I think it's made me a better marketer, like having that empathy and having a little bit more of a, not necessarily, maybe a little bit of an international perspective, although I can't say I'm super amazing at marketing <laughs> internationally, um, but just understanding that like people with from all different backgrounds are going to look at your at your marketing materials, at your emails. Um, that's kind of where where I come from. Um, well, then let's pivot because there's a very important topic for us to discuss, and that is Dyson Docs and why yes. you own 50 of them. Please explain yes. that. Why do you have so damn many Dyson Docs? Okay, everyone. So, well, what I is a Dyson Dock? Yeah, first what is a, first? Let's, I need some context first. <laughs> let's start with what is a Dyson Dock? Okay, because it's, apparently it's so confusing that multiple people, including myself, were confused as to what what it was. Um, it is a plastic doohickey that you use to as a place to like hold your Dyson vacuum cleaner when you're not using it. So think of like laptop stand, but for your vacuum cleaner. <laughs> You just like, it is, yeah. So it's not wall mounted. It is just freestanding and it's called a Dyson dock and it works specifically with my vacuum, my Dyson vacuum, the V10, I believe. And uh, my husband saw it. it was on sale. So he ordered one, one, he ordered one Dyson dock. <laughs> and one day I get a text from my neighbor. Hey, a UPS guy just dropped off a bunch of packages in front of your garage in your driveway to which I said, that's weird. He always just puts them in front of the front door, you know, on the stoop. I don't know why he would leave them in my driveway. That's a, that's odd. So I go outside, I turn the corner and I see a giant, giant mountain of boxes. So, uh, one Dyson dock really resulted in us being shipped 50, 50 boxes. (laughs) Each one weighs 11 pounds. They're not small. And that day was supposed to rain. So I had to move 
all of them into the garage. They're still in my garage, taking up <laughs> my garage space. And we spent days and hours of our time trying to get them to take them back. And basically, they wouldn't take them back. <laughs> so... So you have a side hustle now selling Dyson Docs. <laughs> so yes, my husband and I have a side hustle selling Dyson Docs. I try to give them to everyone I know. I'm like, do you have a Dyson? Do you have a V10 or any, you know, just you can get it on there. You get a free one. Do you have any friends? Do you have any family that might need one? <laughs> we'll put we'll put in the show notes a link to your Etsy store. <laughs> like, it's on like, eBay. I saw it. Yeah, it's on eBay. You get a discount if you buy multiple <laughs> Okay, we'll put a link to your eBay store. We're going to get these out of your garage. In fact, if any listener um, and email geek has a Dyson V10 and wants a dock, you just pay for shipping. I'll send you one for free. (laughs) What an offer. This goes back to offers. Yeah, free offer. I love the picture. I love the picture. The picture of you in the driveway, like trying to climb on top of the 50 boxes is hilarious. I I don't think I've ever laughed that hard. I laughed so hard. I was, I think I was screaming <laughs> so loudly. My husband, whose office is right above the garage, ran downstairs to check on me. <laughs> He's like, what's going on? I was, I was like, I didn't have words. I was like pointing at the mountain of Dyson Dots. Ah, <laughs> look over there so I had to confirm I was like did you order 50 and then he was like I don't think so but let me check and he checked no in fact he had ordered and been charged for one amazing yes. and and another fun fact that people probably don't know about you that I didn't know about you till you told me face to face at another unspam conference is that <laughs> you're kind of a beauty influencer too right um you are much too kind. I would absolutely not use influencer to describe what it is that I do. Um, I would say like hobbyist. I do love, I do love makeup and skincare and hair care, I guess. And I have an Instagram. I post things on and I do like friends makeup and my mom's makeup and stuff like that just for fun. Um, I have a, I have a very small following. So, uh, Fortunately or unfortunately, I don't think influencers quite <laughs> is quite what I do. <laughs> Maybe one I, day. I dig it. I'm a fan. Thank you. Thank we'll get you. you there. We'll get you there. We'll put your we'll put it up. <laughs> Next thing you know. <laughs> it's gonna be this is the podcast that's gonna launch your beauty influencer career. <laughs> Honestly, that would be amazing. <laughs> My two worlds converge, right? <laughs> That's fantastic. So um, something else we always like to ask our guests is who who are you crushing on right now from an email brand perspective? Who's doing an amazing job with email? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I have really been liking Litmus's designs. When I get their emails, I just like the text is really big. There's a lot of space. I can kind of skim it easily. So I'm a big fan of that. Um, and then who else? Hmm. I do appreciate. So this is like, I have given this example before. I don't remember. Maybe it was, um, at one of our B2B badger or whatever, but I bought a thermometer from this company that I absolutely love. Um, and one of, they have an automation that's like, if you buy this thermometer, you are sent instructions on like, thanks for buying your thermometer. This is how you clean it. This is what you do, blah, blah, blah. This is how you use it. It's just really, really, really useful. 
And very few brands do that sort of like post-purchase informational type um, email. I feel like it's, it's kind of a missing thing where like, if I buy something, especially if it's an electronic thingy or something a little bit more complicated than like, I don't know, like a bag of chips or something. Like, yeah, it's like, I know how to use a sweater. Okay. Um, But maybe like people, people love information about how to use stuff. I mean, some of us don't read the entire manual. So maybe have a TLDR section, like don't put it in hot boiling water. You will ruin it. Whatever. Um, that would be really, really helpful. That see, Dyson Doc, that's perfect opportunity for them to send out a, an email, maybe with a video on how to put it together because it was very complicated. Um, so yeah, just some thoughts. What did you say was the brand with the really strong post purchase? Um, it is <laughs> Thermoworks. It's a uh, it's a thermometer company. Oh yeah, they do like meat thermometers. We have one. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So my my, uh, if, my husband's a big green egg guy. If you are a, if you are a foodie, chances are you've seen or you have one of these thermometers. They're like the ones they use on like America's test America's test kitchen. The thermo thermopen, I think they're called. So yeah, I love their thermometers. I have many of them, um, and they always do a really good. They also have very good customer service. So I just uh, I always take the opportunity to like call them out because. That's a really good experience. That's pretty much the answer that Stephanie Griffith gave us. And her example, it was post-purchase for uh, like a really tripped out $200 litter box. And I think the company was called Tuft and Paw. And she got like all of this amazing post-purchase information. So like the power of contacting people immediately upon conversion it, it is like a an underutilized opportunity and that's yeah, how you build loyalty and retention. 100%. I think we forget. We try and get that sale and then we kind of are like, okay, I'm done. Peace. You know? And it's like, no, our jobs are not done at, at the time of purchase. Like even B2B, we're not done at the type of purchase. Um, so yeah, for sure. I love, I love that kitty, kitty litter example. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was called Tuft and Paw. Have you heard of that company? No, but that's adorable. They have a strong digital presence. We put up our show notes and I've been in their remarketing campaign for like this whole time. I actually don't have any cats. So I'm like a waste (laughs) of their advertising dollars. (laughs) You are barking up the wrong tree. (laughs) No, I'm like, sorry, my dog does not use a... (laughs) This dog does not. Um, That's really funny. (laughs) I showed high intent. Yeah. Newt, what would you say is a common mistake or maybe a widespread misconception that you think marketers should address and correct? Mm, I think the <laughs> well, non-email marketers, marketers think email is easy. And oh, just send an email. It's so easy. That is, as we know in this group, far from the truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> far from the truth. Um so that that's a thing um and then i think the other thing is like use fewer better words you don't need to hit me with a 500 word essay of whatever it is you're trying to say like get to the point you're Um, saying seo doesn't work in email no seo no email no (laughs) don't do it read my email (laughs) 
uh, I just like, sometimes I get emails and I'm like, ah, you have 10 seconds, right? That's the latest data. 10 people spend 10 seconds on emails. Use that 10 seconds wisely. Please do not give me a wall of text. I am not going to read it. Just please like use, you know, text hierarchy. So like make your big important points bigger, use fewer words. And for God's sake, don't center align all of your text. That drives me absolutely bonkers. It's so hard to read and it has been shown to be not friendly for lots of different folks. So that's my thing is like, you can actually make things super simple, but it's like the hardest thing to do is the shortest, most simple email because you have no room for error. But I, it's weird. I have a, I have a secret, like just skill, mad skill of like, I cannot write copy, but I can take your copy and just like distill it down into just like very specific points. And it's like pretty good. So I'm a, I'm a really good editor. So if anyone out there <laughs> needs help just taking your copy, your email copy and making it 80% shorter, let me know. I enjoy, I enjoy that exercise. It keeps my mind fresh. Thank you so much, Newt. It's been really fun. I'm looking forward to seeing you in the next Badger's Lunch. I hope that more people from the podcast will also be there. Um, I hope so too. Yeah. And if you're listening, be sure to check out our show notes where we will link you to Newt's influencer Instagram. We're going to blow it up. She's going to be famous. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to put a link to the the picture with the Dyson docks in your driveway. We'll also put a link to the eBay eBay listing for the Dyson docks. We've got to get these out of our garage. (laughs) Be sure to follow us on our social accounts, um, Humans of Email. We're on all the ones that you probably know except TikTok. Who knows? Maybe in the future. Otherwise, we will see you next time. And thanks for listening. And don't forget, you can always ask us anything on The Bounce. Just look for that message button at anchor.fm slash humans of email. Click message to record that audio question. And our featured listeners are going to get some fun swag from us and also our friends at AWeber. And maybe a Dyson Doc. (laughs) Yes. Maybe a Dyson (laughs) Doc. Maybe a Dyson Doc. Yeah. You've been listening to Humans of Email, a podcast about the people, ideas, and accidents that drive email forward. An Idea Empire production. Copyright 2022.